I'm like a 33 year old woman. Should I not be, I don't know, doing the things I'm again, quote unquote, like supposed to be doing? Shouldn't I be like settling down or I don't know what any of that stuff means anymore. I don't think it means anything for me, but I think like the questions still come up. They still come up as, shouldn't I be doing something else? And again, it's because like culturally, the norm is to do X, Y, Z. It's to get the job, to get married, buy a house, have kids or whatever that looks like for people. But so when you are intentionally opting out, it is not easy. And then when you don't have the answers, it is hard to talk about. What I would say about this, and I think with so many things that I've done, is that I always come to this place where as long as the excitement outweighs the fear, like just a little bit, then that is when I start moving towards it. Like if it's all fear, then then I don't do it and I wouldn't make the change. But the, if the excitement outweighs it by even a little bit, then I start thinking about how I can move towards it. That was Kate Flanders, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 154. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. So on this show, my guests and I are committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I certainly don't have any magic answers, and I can't give you any miraculous 10-day, six-step life hack plans for anything. But as a recovering self-help junkie myself, I'm honestly so over the quick fix approach, and my guess is that maybe you are too. Maybe that's even why you're here. So no, that's not what this show's about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep. We go into meaningful topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. This is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, and we never shy away from just telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way even when it's uncomfortable. So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and always will be free, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. When you get over to Patreon, you'll see our current funding goal. And when we reach that goal, it means that every single person who works on this show will get paid. That includes me and my sound engineer, Adam Day, as well as every single guest who comes onto the show. Because that's my vision, for each of our guests to be paid for the time, energy, honesty, care, and emotional labor that they bring to these conversations. The budget won't be huge to start with and will hopefully continue to grow over time, but higher rates will always be paid to our guests of color as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. Being able to pay all our guests has been a big dream of mine for a while now, because as you've probably heard me say before, I believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world where people get paid for the work they do, especially creative work, then it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio even if it's definitely not the norm in the podcast industry. So please know that when you help to fund this show, you're using your money as a vote for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, 
the vast majority of whom are women, and you're voting to pay those folks for the entertainment and education that they so expertly provide. When you support this show, you're saying, loudly and proudly, that these voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off-limits due to fear or shame. As a special thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind-the-scenes email series where I share my real life in real time, which, oh man, if you think that it gets vulnerable and honest on the podcast, just wait till you start getting my emails. Plus, you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for Real Talk Live events and retreats. Also, 5% of each season's profits are donated to social justice organizations, such as Trans Lifeline, Black Lives Matter, and Planned Parenthood, so you can feel really good about that aspect of your pledge contribution to this show as well. Over on Patreon, you'll also see that there are currently three different funding levels, an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. At the $25 level, we even do live Google Hangouts together, and oh my gosh, those are so much fun. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Kate Flanders. Kate is a former binge consumer turned mindful consumer of everything. Through personal stories, she writes about what happens when money, minimalism, and mindfulness cross paths. Kate's story has been shared in the New York Times, The Guardian, Vogue, Forbes, and many more. Her first book, The Year of Less, is a self-help memoir that was released in January 2018 and quickly became a Wall Street Journal bestseller. In this episode, Kate talks about mindful consumption and what that looks like for her in her real life these days. She shares stories about the past year of her life, talking honestly about publishing her first book, what the impact of that was on her mental health, why she's decided to retire from personal blogging after eight successful years, and more. Kate is such a thoughtful person, and it was such a joy to talk openly with her about hard things, about fear, what it's like to quit stuff, changing your life, and stepping into the unknown. If you're interested in slowing down, in being a more mindful consumer and a more mindful creator, I bet you'll get a lot from what Kate shares in this conversation. I know that I did personally, and it was such a pleasure to have her back on the show for a second time. So all of that starts in just a moment. And as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. Awesome. We are good to go. Kate, welcome back to the show. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited too. And we have to start with, (laughs) before we got on the recording, you told me that you were having some noise issues in, I think you said the apartment next door, the balcony next door, and that you are now recording in what I think is a really funny situation. So describe what you have done. Yes. Um, well, first of all, I will just say that for whatever reason, my neighbor recently has decided that it's okay to leave their dog outside on the balcony all day. Um, they did it occasionally in the summer, kind of annoying then because it would be for just a couple of hours here and there. But the weather, at least for them, was more tolerable, like for the dog. But now it is winter and they're still doing it. Um, so it's not only like I feel extremely sad for the dog and have made complaints literally on the dog's behalf, but... As someone who works from home, it is extremely annoying. So right before the call, I noticed it was happening. And I was like, I'm going to have to go in the room that is furthest from like my balcony, my windows, um, which is my bathroom. 
And so I first got in here and then I know like with small rooms that sometimes it can be really echoey. So then I'm like, okay, how can I try and reduce that? So not only did I like drag an actual chair in here, so I'm, I'm comfortably seated because I know we're going to talk for a while. So I dragged a chair in here and then I basically disassembled my couch and I brought all the big couch cushions in here. <laughs> They're like all around me on the floor. I have draped um, a blanket from one of the walls <laughs> and... So I'm like in my bathroom surrounded by cushions and blankets and you would, I don't even know what you would call this. You would almost look like you're in a room except that you look around and you're like, oh, there's a sink and there's a toilet behind me. So that's cool. That's what dedication looks like. (laughs) (laughs) I know how this audio stuff works. Like I'm like, I've got to do as good a job as I can to make sure no one hears this sad barking dog. The sad barking dog and the echoes of like being next to the toilet or whatever. It's so funny. <laughs> it's see, these are the audio challenges that people don't realize. <laughs> Sometimes you have to do. I've talked to people who have like, yeah, and then I, I'm in my closet and I have a blanket over my head or all these funny things <laughs> that you don't realize when you're just like listening to a podcast, like what strange situation people might be in to hopefully get non echoey sound quality. So I, I appreciate your dedication. Well, and I think for the first time, I've been grateful that this bathroom is as big as it is. Like most apartment bathrooms are very small and this one is quite roomy. So I'll have to take a picture after and send it to you. Yeah, that's amazing. And then if you do that, I can put it in the show notes. You're like, this is your <laughs> this is your recording setup. It's amazing. <laughs> so tell me something that you're totally obsessed with right now. Oh, gosh. I would say, actually, in a really dorky way, I would say my library right now. Um, I think that that is a relationship that sort of comes and goes, but I have been wanting and and just have been making the time to read a lot more recently. And um, my budget does not allow me to buy every book that I would want to buy. So I've become like really good friends with my library. And I don't know, it's like kind of fun to, to spend time in your library and get to know just the systems again. Like I think we forget not only that all the stuff that's available, but that, yeah, like it's kind of fun to learn new things or even also to kind of go back to something that you did more as a kid. Yeah. I love my library lets me check books out basically directly to my Kindle, which is amazing. And obviously some of the newer things or some of the more popular things there winds up being a huge wait list for, but sometimes it's fun because I put myself on a wait list and completely forget about it. And then when I get the email of this book is available, it feels like a, like a little exciting treat. And I also find that I wind up reading things that maybe I wouldn't have come across anyway, because I'm like, well, if I'm not going to buy a book and I want to get something from the library, let's just see what they have that looks interesting. Yes. And then, and then I know it's dorky, but like this whole thought of me going to my library more often, um, I've been giving up like the odd little luxury here and there, just realizing like I don't actually use it or I'm spending more money owning it than I am, or than I could be spending just if I did something occasionally. The very clearest example I have of this is my printer. I used to have a printer at home. I literally never used it. Like I would use it four times a year or something. And was like, libraries have printers that you just pay 10 or 25 cents or whatever to like print things, scan things. And it's also a really nice, quiet place to go to. So I have been using them for their printing services as well. 
Yeah, I think about that a lot about the consumer culture of, well, if you need something, just buy that thing versus, hey, is there someone in my life that I can borrow this from or that we could share it? Or like you said, if there's a printer at a library and it's, yeah, I've been thinking about that too. It kind of goes against everything that we have been moving towards for the past few decades, right? Like it is this idea that like we should own everything. Um, and especially because some of this stuff is cheap to buy. Like I think my printer at the time that I bought it was probably only $50 or something. And I used it way more back in the day because I had a job where even though I was working from home, it, I did need to print and scan things more often, but yeah, like stuff is so cheap. And so we do just think like, yeah, I should buy it. I should own it. But then printer cartridges are really expensive. Even so-called cheap ones are pretty expensive. And yeah, just realizing like there's so much stuff that is out in the world that we do have access to. Yes, it would require us maybe to leave our homes or like in your case of, you know, borrowing to Kindle, you don't even have to leave your home. But in, I don't know, like even just things that we don't need to necessarily buy because we could be sharing it with our neighbors or all kinds of different things. But yes, I, I, have a lot of thoughts on it. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I mean, and I think obviously, like you said, so much of it is cultural. So much of it is the way you were raised because obviously there's other communities and other cultures where this isn't the case, right? Where it is more of a sharing economy type of thing. But I've been thinking for me about the value of interrogating sort of the way that I was raised, like using this as an example, that I was definitely raised in a, well, you need a thing, so buy a thing, which obviously is is a, a privileged position. But the the, I don't know, the benefit of looking at, okay, like just because that has sort of been my default doesn't mean that I can't rewrite some of those patterns. Like this came up a lot for me in the past month, just in terms of clothes shopping that, you know, it's something that, well, when I need new clothes, I go buy new clothes. And I hadn't really bought clothes in, you know, four or five years for many different reasons. Some of them budget-wise, some of them, you know, my body had changed and I was feeling some weird feelings about that. And I have recently gotten into kind of thrift stores, used clothing, that type of thing, which I know for folks who have been doing that type of shopping forever is this not new information, but it just really wasn't a part of my life. And I bought these amazing jeans that fit me really well that were $7 and are really soft because someone else already broke them in for me. And it was just this aha moment of, oh, just because that's not how I was raised doesn't mean that I can't change the way that I shop and consume and do that type of stuff. And that can be true with so many things. Like Sometimes we don't realize like how habitual the patterns become and the habits become. And it's just nice to remember that we can make a change. I, oh my gosh. I mean, it's sort of a weird jumping off point, but there's, I have so many thoughts around that specifically, not on like say shopping in general per se, but sort of this idea that the way that we've been raised maybe isn't the way we want to live. Um, or like the culture that we're around maybe isn't the one that we actually want to be part of. And I'm, I'm not going to make probably a lot of sense when I talk about this because it feels so new to me in some ways, but I've just had so many thoughts this year. Like I'd say specifically being someone from North America, I think that, you know, not only because of maybe something like the political climate, but just as a whole, like I think that the way that we work, um, the way that we operate is just so not how I want to live. Um, I I could say some specific examples, just sort of being like being someone who I guess is self-employed, um, you know, we are a North American mindset is often to kind of hustle really hard, be working all the time, find a lot of pride in the work that you do. Like that should be your self-worth. And 
And then there's also the negative side that that is cultural. It's like, oh, let's also complain about work all the time, complain about how little time off we get, complain about how busy we are. Um, and, and when you go to other places, you're like, oh, like the rest of the world doesn't operate like this. Like I spent some time in the UK in the spring and I don't think a single person told me that they hated their job. And actually a lot of people told me that they really liked their jobs. And I was just sitting there like North America does not operate like this. Like there's something so different happening here. And I want to explore more of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the way that productivity is tied into self-worth and the value that we place on being busy, like you said. And it can feel scary to want to do something that's a little bit different. This is something that I've been thinking about ever since I got back from the PCT and knowing that I really want to grow and build this business. And it feels, you know, really time to do that organically. And I feel really excited and have a lot of creative energy. And part of my thought process while I was on trail was, okay, I want to do those things, but I don't want to get caught in the trap that I've been in in the past of, like you said, working absolutely as much as possible, working to the point of complete burnout till I hate the work and hate myself and that it happens. And so it's thinking, okay, how can I build a business that also supports the life that I want? Is it possible to do that? What does that look like? And am I willing to sort of push back against some of the, it's 4 p.m. on a Thursday, so I should be working that type of guilt. Is it possible to, on the whole, work really hard and carefully for four or five hours a day and that's it instead of more or, you know, whatever that looks like? Just starting to ask myself some of those questions to be like, oh, is a 40-hour work week or whatever something that has to happen? Is it something we've been told has to happen? You know, what would it look like to do impactful work maybe in a different shape or in a different schedule and starting to have those conversations with myself and then with other creative entrepreneurs, especially other women who work for themselves has been really wonderful to learn like, Hey, there's lots of different ways to do stuff. There are so many ways. And then, I mean, you have an incredible network, so you may already do this, but I would say like challenge yourself to even ask people outside of North America, um, like how they do it. Because I do just think that there's, there's something to learn from ways from like the other ways that people are doing things. And and I don't know, we get so quickly like wrapped up in what's happening in our culture but that we don't look at maybe whether or not it is the right way or just if other ways are even possible. So yeah, I think I think they're really good questions to ask. I would say I can answer only to like a brief amount of experience and say like, yes, it is possible to create a business that works around your lifestyle. It doesn't mean it's always easy and it doesn't mean that every month it's great for your bank account. <laughs> Uh, it is possible. I also think that I've learned and I'm learning again right now that like when you're starting something new or like kind of changing your path, I think you do work a, a bit more upfront and then can learn how to kind of even it out and cut back on like what isn't necessary. Um, but yeah, so knowing that like if there is some hustle, it doesn't have to be forever. Like it's, it can be just kind of in service of getting started or just making a change and then in trying to find a way to go back to what actually feels good to you. 
Yeah, I can relate to that a lot. The thing that popped into my mind when you were talking was about when I first started running and I had never been even remotely active or athletic. And it was such a whole new world for me that the emotional investment, not just like the time and energy of actually doing the running and doing the things, but sort of the emotional investment and effort of changing the habits and sort of doing that, like it would, there was so much upfront, like cost, let's say in that regard. And over time, obviously as habits do, it became something that sure, maybe I was actually spending longer doing the activity, but it didn't require the same, like, oh my gosh, I have to get up and am I going to do this? And you know, all the things that happen when we're making a change. So I think that that's a really good reminder. And something that I've been trying to check myself on is, yeah, it's totally fine to have to maybe hustle more or work more at the beginning, as long as I am working to set up something that's going to feel sustainable long-term, right? Like I don't want to build a business that requires, okay, I need to be available 24 seven in order for this to keep functioning and to be profitable because that might feel okay for a couple months, but I know there will come a time where it doesn't. So it's kind of like the principle of starting the way that you want to continue, you know what I mean? And so I've been, I've been thinking about that, but I, I want to ask you, uh, obviously, cause you just said it is possible to, you know, build a business that supports your lifestyle. And for everyone, that's going to be really different, whether part of their lifestyle is wanting to spend time with their kids or if they don't have kids or if they want to travel or don't want to travel. But for you, what are some of the considerations that you have in your mind when you're thinking, okay, in order for this work to feel good and fulfilling and sustainable for me, you know, it needs to match my lifestyle in like X, Y, and Z ways. Like, what does that look like for you? I'll probably just start by saying that Um, you know, I quit my job in June, 2015 and I had none of these thoughts. (laughs) Like I was not thinking about any of this at all. I was at a very different place. Um, it was sort of just that I was in a position where I was doing enough freelance work that quitting became an option. And so I took it, but I really didn't have like any kind of long-term game plan. And actually when I quit, you know, my, my thoughts at that time were just like, okay, I'd saved up about four months of living expenses. So in case I didn't get paid a penny for four months, then I would be okay. So I'd saved up a chunk of money. And then I'd also lined up about six months of full-time work. So I did know, okay, like if nothing else, I'll probably be able to make this last at least 10 months. And that was it. Like, (laughs) I had no thoughts of like lifestyle or anything like that. And I quickly fell into um, something that's pretty common, I think, just based on a lot of conversations that I've had with people who are new to freelance or new to being self-employed, which is you get into a bit of a scarcity mindset because you, you do worry that like the work or the money is going to dry up. So I just started saying yes to everything. I was working all the time when friends would ask to hang out. I literally had to say no because I had so many deadlines. I just said yes to way too much stuff. And it did not take me long to figure out that that was not sustainable. Um, and so that, I think it was after about six or seven months that I really started to see, okay, the, the first thing I wanted was time with friends and I also wanted to spend time outdoors. So something that, um, a girlfriend and I did was she's like the one friend I know if I call and say like, Hey, do you want to go on a hike? She will always say yes. And we had also started sort of building this little I don't know, not like a bucket list, but kind of like a list of all the different hikes on Vancouver Island that we hadn't done before. And so I was like, what if I take every Tuesday off work 
and we go and hike somewhere new. It can be a one hour hike or like a five hour hike, like whatever it's going to be is fine, but I will take every Tuesday off. Like that is my commitment. So it started slow with that of being like, okay, I'm taking one day off to do something that I genuinely enjoy with someone I enjoy spending time with. And, and again, like I said, like I was working like seven days a week at that point and not sustainable. So then I added one day off. So that was, you know, probably early 2016. And now it's like progressed to a place where I actually think, well, you know, actually there's probably been a lot of cycles. I think that in the past year and a half specifically, I've probably gone through some mental health stuff that required me or just made me shut down a little bit and work less and less. And again, mental health stuff, like not great for finances. Um, and so now I'm in a nice, nicer groove where I'm like, I do want to be working kind of a more regular schedule. And that doesn't mean 40 hours a week, but it does mean if I'm working for like at least a few hours a day, like actual productive work for a few hours a day. But then there's also room in my calendar that I can say yes to like a last minute coffee date or like a last minute request to go for a walk with a friend then that room is there. And that's really important to me. And then I haven't actually taken a Tuesday off in a while or something like that. But it's also where I'm living right now. Like I don't have as many friends, oddly enough, where I'm living who would do that or who can commit to kind of that regular thing that my other friend could. But I'm, you know, just trying to take more more days now here and there where it's a full day off. And then 2019 is going to look different too, though, because in 2019, I'm planning on traveling full time for like a good chunk of the year. And so work will be be different again. But I do think I I things I know are I want to travel really slow, which means staying in a place for like a month or two at a time and actually having like that capacity to build in a little bit of routine. So having like that, you know, a few hours of solid work in the day or And then there is room to explore, time to say yes to things, time to go and actually see the place that I'm staying in as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so much of what you shared speaks to just tweaking as you go, which is one of those things that like when you say it out loud, maybe sounds really silly. Like, of course, as you learn more about yourself and your rhythms and your work and in different seasons, like things continue to change. But I do think that it's common, at least for me, to get stuck into this like, okay, well, I have to figure out exactly what it's going to look like like right now. And it's going to have to be, you know, perfectly laid out. And that's, that's really pretty much never how it goes. You start to do something and you just change as you go. Like, surprise, surprise, that's possible, (laughs) you know? Oh, and it's still not easy though. Like, and also because I was someone, like I came from a very sort of traditional work background. You know, I grew up with parents who both worked in the government. When I was 22, I started working for the government. So I worked my Monday to Friday, like 8.30 to 4.30. And I had this sort of rigid system of like, well, this is how work is. And then I quit that and went and worked at a startup where you realize there are no boundaries at startups and you work all of the time and then sort of carried that over. And I'm now like, wait, what? Like, I don't understand anything anymore because it doesn't, it's not at all what I grew up with. I grew up with the same thing of just very much like, this is how you do the thing. And now, I don't know, my parents still probably look at me like having no idea what I do, but I mean, I'm making it work. 
<laughs> I mean, definitely same. <laughs> Even just for me, I mean, I grew up always in really big cities and never spent any time in the outdoors and never did any nature things or any physical things. And I mean, even just like looking at my love of hiking and stuff, my parents are like, what happened to you? I don't understand. (laughs) They're just like, please don't die. Um, So you mentioned something really exciting and interesting, the plan to travel pretty much full time in 2019. So tell me the story of how you made that decision. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I can't share the story unless I explain that I'm still in the thick of asking myself like what I'm doing. (laughs) And that is the question that I've been asking myself since I started having the thought. So I will say that I, I never intended for that to be something that was on the horizon. It is looking back when you like connect the dots, you're like, Oh, that makes sense though. Like, I think I've slowly been moving towards that, but I didn't realize it. Um, when I went to the UK this spring and it would, it's actually going to sound weird when I say this because parts of my trip in the UK were so hard. And I think people have only sort of looked at that of like, Oh, but travel was so hard for you. And I'm like, no, like I was going through something very specific then. And that was hard for me. Traveling was not hard for me. Um, but so going away for a chunk of time, I went for six weeks and when I came home or even on the trip, I was having all these thoughts like, you know, I wonder if I could do this longer. I wonder if I could go away for like three months or maybe for four months. I wonder what that would look like. And then you have a lot of questions like, well, what would I do with my place? Like I rent. So like, what would I do with my home if I went away for that long? And what would I do for work? And how would work have to change if I went away for just that period of time? Like, would I take time off? Like I took most of the six weeks that I was in the UK, I took that off. So I wasn't doing much work at all. And like, would I do that again? So I'm just at, like, was asking myself a ton of questions. But one of the things I realized, and this won't really surprise anyone who knows me, but I realized I had like no attachment to my stuff that was at home. Like, I think that being on the trip and only living out of a backpack realized like I didn't actually care about anything that was waiting for me in my physical apartment. And then from there, I'm like, well, that means like I wouldn't mind selling it or or like, you know, giving it to family if anyone needs any furniture. Huh, interesting. Like there were just all these random thoughts that were popping into my head and I still couldn't quite make sense of them and didn't have any plan. But then when I got home... I can't even explain the feeling. I like walked into my apartment though and just felt like it was not my place. Like I just didn't feel like it was home anymore. And my friends actually noticed it. I would never have noticed this, I I don't think. But I guess when I sat on my couch, um, sorry, I had friends there because I let friends um, sublet my place when I was gone. So they were there when I came home. And I guess when I sat on the couch, I sat on the arm of the couch instead of like on the actual couch. And they observed and just said out loud, you do not look comfortable right now. And I was like, oh, I'm like, I am like, I'm happy to be like in Squamish. I'm happy to be here. They're like, yeah, like something isn't right though. And I was just like, huh. And so like, I'm just, I let all those thoughts just sort of come together. And again, like there were parts of that trip that were really hard for me. And so one of my, my girlfriend who actually, who was staying here, she said to me when I got home and I kind of shared a bunch of things with her, she said, please don't make any big decisions for the next two weeks. I know that's 
hard, but like, please try not to like make anything big right now. Like just kind of live again, be at home again and like keep thinking about whatever's on your mind, but try not to make any big decisions. And so I didn't, and I just did. I chilled out at home and I worked a little bit, like just wrote a little bit for myself and kind of got back into a groove. Um, and then in the summer I just decided, no, like I, I do feel like I'm ready to attempt, I guess what people would call like long-term travel. And that still comes with a lot of like trepidation. I know things about myself as I travel. Like there are things that I, I need to do to sort of make sure that I'm okay, that um, I have support if I need it. Mostly like mental health stuff. Like I, I have anxiety. And so like, I know that that's why slow travel is so important to me. Actually, like sometimes I'll get questions about things like that now. Like I just went to um, DC for work in the fall and that trip could have been just like a three day trip, but I extended it and stayed a little longer, took the train up to New York, saw a friend there and like literally just chilled out in New York, which sounds not like the thing that you do, but literally just kind of hung out on my friend's couch and went to a couple of coffee shops with her. And I, I like have to do things like that because if I move too quickly, I actually feel more anxious and more disrupted. So I don't know, like I'm, I'm entering 2019, making sure that I'm like going to embark on this, like that I have not only kind of things set up, but also like have the money that if I had to like book a flight home or just needed something that I can be okay to like get what I need when I need it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I mean, I have some thoughts of places I want to go, but I don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet. I mean, I feel so grateful to be having this conversation with you right now because I think that sometimes it's really easy to talk about periods of transition or change or hard things once they're far in the past. And I think that it's a lot more vulnerable and sometimes challenging and messy to talk about things in real time. Like even the way you started telling that story that you're sort of asking yourself, what do I want? What next? And if that you're still very much in that place. And I think that there's, there's just like so much humanness in everything that you just said. It's kind of this process of, well, I think these are a couple things that I might like to try. I don't know for certain. I have some fears about, you know, whether or not this is going to work for me. And there's some things that I need to put in place to make sure that I'm as mentally well as possible. Like, it's just, it's so much more real. I think that especially things like long-term travel or self-employment, it can seem really sexy, right? The idea of that, like, oh, I'm just going to go travel for nine months. And sure, like, I'm sure you'll have great pictures to put on Instagram. And <laughs> that's great. And it will, I'm sure, be lovely and beautiful and, you know, adventurous. And that there's also things that we have to put in place to take care of ourselves. And like, even admitting, you know, you have some fears and some concerns. And I don't know, there's just, I'm kind of just like reiterating everything that you just said, but there's just something that's so real in that. And obviously, I'm in a period of big transition as well. And I'm also going to be on the road for probably most of 2019 and beyond and just sort of looking at 
What does that look like beyond the pretty Instagram photo? How is that sustainable with work? What do I actually need in order to do good work? Everything from with the type of work that I do, we laugh obviously about you being in the bathroom, but I need a quiet place to record and I need really strong internet if I'm not recording in person. And like those little things have to be taken into consideration. They're much easier to do at home, right? Than traveling. And so it's just like looking at the tiny things and trying to do the best that you can to put stuff in place to have the experience that you want. And, but like you said, even to sort of give yourself an out, I want to have enough money that if I need to, I can buy a plane ticket home. And like, that's beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with that. Totally. And like, I think you'll get this too. There, there's two different things. One is that it is hard to talk about something before you've even done it because you have no idea what it's going to look like, or if it's going to like, quote unquote, work. It's so it's really hard to talk about stuff like that when people ask you questions. And again, you're sort of just like shrugging your shoulders being like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if any of this is going to be okay. And I don't know what it's going to lead to. And even even some of the questions I then ask myself, I'm like, I'm like a 33 year old woman, should I not be, I don't know, doing the things I'm again, quote unquote, like supposed to be doing, shouldn't I be like settling down or I don't know what any of that stuff means anymore. I don't think it means anything for me, but I think like the questions still come up. They still come up as shouldn't I be doing something else? And again, it's because like culturally the norm is to do X, Y, Z. It's to get the job, to get married, buy a house, have kids or whatever that looks like for people. But so when you are intentionally opting out, um, it is not easy. And then when you don't have the answers, it is hard to talk about. What I would say about this, and I think with so many things that I've done, is that I always come to this place where as long as the excitement outweighs the fear like just a little bit, then that is when I start moving towards it. Like if it's all fear, then then I don't do it and I wouldn't make the change. But if the excitement outweighs it by even a little bit, then I start thinking about how I can move towards it. And still knowing the fears are there. Like it's not like the excitement just completely outweighs it and washes it out and there's zero fears. It's just that there's more excitement than fear and it feels okay to start moving towards whatever the scary, exciting thing is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I'd love before we move on to a different topic to talk about the money side of this a little bit, which is obviously something that you and I both like to talk about. I think, you know, rightfully so, the sort of the thought about long-term travel is that it has to be really expensive. And maybe that's, there's lots of different ways to travel, right? On lots of different budgets. But something I've been thinking of for me is, okay, well, if I don't have a home base and I'm not trying to pay for travel while also paying those expenses back home, all of a sudden it becomes a lot more affordable. And if it's certain, you know, type of travel is less expensive than others. I'm just curious sort of how you're thinking about the budget side of it and what that's going to look like for you. Yeah. So hundred percent, like I think it's so important to be honest about this stuff also because actually going back to it, like there's parts of it that are not sexy or, you know, logistics in general just aren't usually that sexy, <laughs> So, but it, but it is the real stuff that needs to happen or that we need to think about before doing some of these things. So um, right off the bat, I will give up my apartment and I'm going to sell the majority of my stuff a couple things like a couple boxes and my bed I will take to my dad's and leave there but you know my couch yeah 
even like kitchen stuff and like everything I've ever had for my kitchen and it was like given to me when I was like 18 years old basically and it's all good so actually it's like some of it's like we'll go to my sister my aunt was like oh I need some dishes I'm like perfect I have dishes and so there's like finding homes for some of my stuff but yeah like I definitely giving up my apartment the thought of keeping it even if I could like sublet it it just it didn't feel good. As a renter, it didn't feel good because there's like so many question marks. As a homeowner, there would be too, but I I feel ready to like give up the place. Now, in saying that, I will also add the element that I live in a really expensive area that is very much growing quickly. So I live in Squamish, which is about 45 minutes to an hour north of Vancouver. And it's right in between Vancouver and Whistler. And but 45 minutes to an hour outside of Vancouver means that Squamish, I would say, unfortunately, for the people who like it, that it's a small town, Squamish has become sort of a bedroom community of Vancouver. It's like the furthest suburb, it seems now. And so it's growing very quickly and rents are skyrocketing. And so a huge concern for me was like in giving up my place. What if I can't afford to come back here? But again, it's, I don't know. It was one of those things where like, I just had to let that go. Like, because I also know that that comes from a place of scarcity. Like that's a scarcity mindset, right? So if, yeah, it would kind of suck if I couldn't come back here, but also maybe I could just come back here in a different way one day and that that's okay. And it's okay if it doesn't look exactly like it looked this time. Yeah. So had to let that one go. Um. For the travel itself, yeah, like, I mean, I'd even be curious to chat with you about it. I think, so things I know about myself are, I do, I could not do well in something like a hostel. That's also, in my mind, like, not a long-term travel option, like, in the way that I want to do it. I do want it to feel temporarily like I live in the places that I'm going. And so things like hostels that just, for, for me, I'm pretty introverted. I need quiet time that will not fly. <laughs> so I'm looking more at things like Airbnbs. Like when you rent an Airbnb for a month, you get, I think it's like a 43% discount. So it, it, depending on the place, it could be expensive. Like I'm not getting an Airbnb in London for a month. Like that, that is not in my budget, but in other places it is like, even I was looking at places like, um, Vienna is a place I really want to go and I could get an entire apartment, like a top floor, beautiful, apartment for about $400 a month less than what I pay here. Mm-hmm. So things like that, where I'm like, that's really interesting. Like maybe I will gravitate towards places where it could either be a similar cost of living or even cheaper. Yeah. I'll be very interested <laughs> on a selfish note. Like let's stay in touch about all these things because I'm really <laughs> interested to hear on your decisions. And it sounds like we're like in a similar place with a lot of stuff. So yeah, it's good. Um, so pivoting a little bit, I know, you know, back when you were first on the show and, you know, we talked more about your work and about your book and I think it was at the, was at the beginning of this year that the book came out or was it? Yeah, it was January, 2018. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. So, um, your book, the year of less was published. And so for folks who maybe aren't familiar with your work and didn't hear our first episode together, can you just share a bit about what that book was about and why you wrote it? Yeah. Yeah. So the book is about sort of like upfront, it's about a year where I decided not to shop or just like not to buy anything unless it was like fulfilling an absolute need. And the, so the book kind of documents the 12 months that I didn't buy anything as well as some of the things that I went through that year. 
things that, you know, I guess had challenged me more than I expected. Um, so I, I mean, a small one, it feels small now cause it's been a lot of time, but a small one was like going through a breakup. Um, a bigger one being that my parents got divorced that year and learning a lot about my tendencies to kind of binge consume anything in those periods of time, like sort of as a way of numbing or just kind of, yeah, I mean, I used to binge for all kinds of reasons and we've talked about some of that before, but so up front, like the book is, um, about that, about a year where not shopping was sort of hard, but, but I also talk a lot more openly in that book about how I started drinking when I was 12 and I quit when I was 27. And so I bring in a lot of analogies around binge drinking as well, because that year I I just would never put them together. I don't think unless I had done the experiment, like unless I had done the year of not shopping and really understanding that through so many periods of life, like whenever something wasn't good, like, and, or just more like whenever my tendency was to binge in the past, I never looked at, okay, what is actually going on right now? And so my hope with the book and being in sharing kind of both sides of that was, I don't know, like maybe just to serve even a few people, like give them that thought that, Hey, if something's going on, or if you're finding yourself constantly binging, like maybe something else is going on instead. And you should actually work on that instead. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been, yeah. And that it's been such an interesting year since it came out. (laughs) How so? I mean, like, I will say, I, I said this once and someone was like, oh, you're Canadian, you're so self-deprecating. But like, it, it is just a thing. Like, I I wrote the book, you know, just sort of thinking maybe a few thousand people would buy it. Like, because I had a blog, so I had an existing audience, if you want to say that. So I knew like, yeah, like a few thousand people would probably buy it. Some people would read it and like had zero expectations for how it would do. And it, it just like quickly escalated very, it's just like a pace I didn't expect. I very quickly escalated. Like I can't even find words, um, but it escalated really quickly. I mean, I don't, I haven't gotten updated numbers in a while, but I think in October it's like, like 65,000 copies or something like that had been sold. And it, I don't know. It's just like, that's really hard to grasp because like, when something does well, and I will preface this by saying like, this is mostly all good stuff, but when something doesn't, does really well. And I think a, you're not expecting it, but B, I don't think I was in the right space with my mental health to be able to handle it. It's, it's like extremely overwhelming. So even though you can see that it's like positive, you're like, like, I don't feel okay. So it's really hard. Like it's this constant disconnect in your head and your heart with like, I'm supposed to be really happy, but like this year was actually probably one of the hardest years I've had in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And allowing space for both of those things to be true. Overall, that's something that I think about a lot and have been thinking about lately that, you know, things in one area could be great and you could feel really grateful for it, right? Like you said, the book's really successful and that's incredible that people are connecting with your story and with these principles. And I'm sure that feels wonderful. And then also there's other stuff that comes with it. And that, I don't know, this idea that things aren't ever black and white. And I think that sort of is helpful for me because it can take the pressure off that like a certain thing is supposed to feel a certain way, right? That it's, it does well, therefore I need to be happy and nothing else. Like, 
that's not always the case. And like, what if that's okay? Not that, I mean, obviously I don't wish for you to have a hard time or for anyone to have a hard time, but it's like just allowing space for something not to necessarily look like exactly what we think that it's going to look like. Even what you were saying before about if you come back to this same town and you do want to live there and maybe the, you know, budget doesn't allow for the exact same living situation, doesn't mean it won't happen in a way that you can't even now predict. And so just like leaving space for that. Yeah. Well, I think, and I'm, my guess is you're going to resonate with this. I think one of the best lessons I learned this year was actually in September, I went to, I don't even know what you could call it. I don't know if it was a workshop. I have no idea what this weekend was. I went to this weekend that was hosted at like a wellness center in California and the hosts for the weekend were Cheryl Strayed and Elizabeth Gilbert. And I don't know I don't really know what I got from that weekend, except that Cheryl went up and said one thing, which was that resonated, which was like, you know, you do this thing and you might expect it to feel a certain way. You kind of have to let go of that before you even release it. Because at the end of the day, when you do a big thing, it's not really for any, or like you you have to let go of like it being about something like I'm going to feel this way or this could happen or whatever you do the big thing because you're going to be a different person on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. And if I had really thought about that before the book came out, I think, because I don't know what I thought. Like, I remember, I don't know, like, I think you just think it'll be cool to see your book in a store or something. Like, I don't really know what my expectations were. I think they were probably low, which is sort of how I operate anyways, because I feel like I can be disappointed less often, but that's probably that's probably healthy and not healthy. But like, I think it was probably low, but then if I had walked into it, just being like, I'm going to be different at the end of this year, um, that might have prepared me more for like what was actually going to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, because instead I more was constantly grappling with like feeling like I should be happy and not being allowed to tell people I wasn't or feeling like I wasn't allowed to tell people I wasn't because how dare I, like, I don't know, like you, you've gotten to do something that so many people want to do. And so like, how dare I on top of that say that I don't feel okay, or it doesn't feel good or, and again, cause it's, it's not even that the two are together, like it's my mental health didn't have to do like with the book specifically. I, I don't think I was in a good place before the book even came out. So then things that happened after that only sort of made other things worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it, I just was more from the first half of this year was more grappling with the emotional stuff, like, and just feeling like I couldn't talk about it. Like I wasn't allowed to talk about it. And instead, if I had walked in going, yeah, like this is going to happen. Like you are going to have good and bad times, uh, when you do a big thing, that's part of it. Because at the end of this, you're going to be different Then maybe I would have been more, I don't know, like kinder, like understanding of what I was going through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really well said. It's something that I think a lot about that, you know, the last couple of years before big hikes of it's going to be beautiful and wonderful at times, and it's going to be agonizing and horrible at times. And like, there's enough space in the experience to allow for all of that to be true. And it's like, I get into trouble when I start to have the self-talk of what's wrong with you that you're not appreciating this every second of the day. Or like you said, this is something that other people would kill to do when you're doing it. So like, be happier about it. And that actually just winds up making me feel worse. 
So it's, yeah, yeah, like giving myself the kindness and grace to open up the experience. It's fine for it to be hard and to cry and to be happy and for all of those things to happen within the same day, right? And just giving ourselves and each other more space to talk about the like nuances of whatever any experience is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to like then, I don't know, to then be really conscious, I think, of the things that we are sharing on social media too. Like I sort of opted out in some ways of being like, I'm just not going to share anything for a while, but that's because it felt, I couldn't just pop on and be like, Hey guys, Oh my God, the book's doing so well, because that was true at times. And also that was not reflective of like what was going on in my actual life. That's like, that's the book's life. That's not my life. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it would, it, it just, it was such a weird this year has been weird. I feel like I'm finally starting to like find my footing with stuff, but it's been just not what I expected. And I am absolutely going to be a different person on the other side of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you mentioned before how writing the book and thinking about the connections between maybe things that you hadn't connected before, you know, binge drinking versus, you know, binge shopping or any of those things obviously led to some stuff that we've talked about before, this idea of what it means to be a mindful consumer. And I'm curious, like after living the stories in the book and then sort of reliving them, writing about it, and then I know you've given a lot of talks and readings about it over this year, like this obviously has been something that you've been immersed in for a while in lots of different ways. And I imagine that you've thought a lot about what it means to be a mindful consumer. And I'd love for you to share maybe what that means to you these days. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Because I'm pretty sure in the first interview that we did, you asked me this, but it was like the, I think the last or like one of the last questions and we talked for a long time. And so I was like, oh gosh, I don't know. And I think I gave some really stupid answer. <laughs> but I mean, now I'm at a place where I, I really want to make sure I'm talking about being a consumer in a way where people are understanding that like, this is just who we are and taking back what the word consumer means, because it doesn't actually just mean like the things that we buy or even the things that we drink or like eat or put into our bodies. Like we as human beings are consumers of everything from like the minute we wake up to the minute we go to sleep. And honestly, if you're like listening to things in your sleep, you're consuming that as well. We are consuming all the time around the clock and really understanding, like I'm, I'm still trying to get to this place where I really understand how it all affects me. And, and then on the flip side of that is like how as a creator, how, what I might be putting out into the world could be impacting the consumers of it. But I don't know, because I think this year, more than anything, I've really been looking at the information side of it, as well as environment, culture, and people. So the people we're spending time with, even just looking at, I mean, some of these things are like talked about often, like things like, you know, you your language and your behavior ends up becoming like the five people you spend the most time with. There's all these different kind of things that are thrown around that like in theory we do know, but I think I'm diving deeper into a lot of it. So just looking back at, you know, kind of the family, like how, how I grew up. So how did that shape me? The people I spend time with now, how does, how do our conversations shape me? 
and yeah, culture is a, a big one too. Like how, how do I feel in the places that I'm in and how does it impact my thoughts and my ideas and how I feel? And I don't know. It's just like really understanding that like, it's, it's just what we do because like we are humans and it's biologically, like we have to be consuming, but because of our brains, like we're the most thoughtful beings or species that exists. And so, but really understanding that everything influences us. And so, I don't know, just being a lot more aware of like the stuff that doesn't feel good or doesn't feel right. Like not that everything just needs to be cut, especially if there are people in your lives, but like that if it's not like in alignment fundamentally with like who you are, then it's okay to learn how to start becoming aware and then letting some things go. And yeah. So just really understanding we as humans are consumers. Yeah. I'd love for you to give a couple of maybe specific examples. Let's say over the last year, what's changed for you in terms of consumption, however you want to define that? Like, what are you consuming more and less of maybe than you were at this time last year? Mm, Okay. So I will say this up front, knowing also like there's so many topics of conversation out there that are just like social media is bad. And I, I do not fall into that camp, but what I will say probably off the bat would make it sound like I'm in that camp. I... I have been playing around with my relationship with social media and like all the platforms over the past few years, as I think a lot of people have been, um, very specific ways I've changed it have been this year specifically are that I ended up not using Twitter. Like I stopped using Twitter in the summer and then more recently have done an experiment where I basically unfollowed everybody except for like 10 people who, maybe use Twitter in a way that if I came back to it, I would want to be like them. And I say that in a way of just like the creators who are, you know, their messages are positive. They are entertaining. They are informative, but yeah, overall that like they are kind of a light on the internet and that it, that has been met with some, um, I've had like friends unfollow me because I unfollowed them. I'm like, I wish you could understand that like it's, not about you like this stuff is not about people it's being it's like me trying to understand like why doesn't twitter feel good to me it's not because my friends share articles like that's not why but it's because you know the overall feeling of like the cumulative number of people i was following was that twitter became very negative and it's kind of that yes and thing like that can be true and i can also still love my friends but i don't have to follow them Right. Um, so that is something I'm doing right now. Like Twitter, I, like I said, I think I'm following 10 or 12 people or something like that. And I only check it a couple times a week at this point. Cause I'm not getting information from it anymore. I am right now just kind of looking at it being like, okay, these few people are doing it in a way that feels good. Is it good enough that it makes me want to come back to it? So far the answer is no. And so like maybe Twitter is something I won't ever go back to. Maybe it will. I'm not sure. Instagram, sort of similarly, actually, but it became the thing I'm consuming more of. But again, like being pickier about who I'm following and how their messages feel um, or following people, but maybe muting their stories. Like if their stories are like a constant sales pitch or something like that, like maybe I just mute their story, but I still follow them because I do love them and like their posts feel good. So it's just like about figuring out like boundaries, I guess, with this stuff and knowing that it's not about, again, it's like no hard feelings of someone. It's like, I want to use these tools or maybe I don't, but 
I want to use these tools, but it has to feel good for me. So how can I make sure that what I'm consuming still feels good? Mm -hmm. So those are probably the two clips. And then reading a lot more books, which isn't a surprise because I made the library comment. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So as you've been doing book readings and giving talks, what are some of the common questions or comments that you hear from people in the audiences? Like, are there any themes or topics that seem to get brought up again and again that you think like, oh yeah, this is something that a lot of people are either wondering about or thinking about or struggling with? Yeah, so there are two. One of them I'll tell you I hate. And then the other is it actually has helped formed a lot of my thoughts around what the next book will be. Or if there is another book, I hope there is, but like if there's another book that I hope it will include. So the one that I, I sort of hate, but I also completely understand is questions around decluttering. And I should have, I should have known that I was going to get them because I do talk about the fact that I got rid of 70% of my belongings that year in the book. But I also was pretty, I thought that by not telling too many details about like how I decluttered or like what my rules were per se, that maybe I wouldn't have to talk about it all the time. Because I already knew going into writing the book that like decluttering is not a topic I want to be sort of like an expert on. But it is also true that getting rid of things, it, it did change my life in a big way and taught me a lot about my relationship with stuff and spending So, but I don't like the questions because yeah, it's just like not a topic that I'm interested in or want to be known for. Like I don't, and I don't have the answers. Like people ask so many different questions about like ways to declutter, like what should I do about this specific thing? And I was like, I have no idea because (laughs) I don't, I don't read articles about decluttering. I didn't read anything about decluttering before I got started. I think the only thing I ever read before I decluttered was, um, the minimalist's first book, which is just kind of more their philosophy on minimalism. So it's not a to do. I don't, I don't remember. I read it in like 2014. So I I don't think there was anything about how to declutter or things to get rid of. It was just sort of their philosophy on like living with less. And that was like enough for me that I just kind of got started. And so I never read anything. I don't know the rules. I don't know like what all the tips and tricks are that people say. And I think that everyone else or like those experts know that stuff better. And I just don't have a lot of answers. Mm -hmm. But the other part of that is like what I, I think something I don't like is everyone's always looking for like a specific answer. So questions I get around decluttering are like, well, how many of this should I own? Or how many things do you own of this? So I'm like, oh my gosh, like minimalism is so not about the numbers. Like that's so not the point. Um, but I mean, it makes sense though, right? Like I, like it's, it's just like, I hear so much of, like, I think about asking similar questions, maybe not with decluttering, but at other periods in my life. And like, I think so much of it comes from fear or wanting to know that we're not alone or like having the desire to do things right. And like, that's, it's just like such a human thing, which obviously you can relate to. And so, yeah, there's like something in there where like, I get it. Like people are like, this feels scary. You know, somebody hold my hand through this. And like, I love what you're saying of like, yeah, there's people out there, but at the end of the day, you kind of have to make your own rules in order for it to feel something that is actually good for you. And I mean, that's been the same for me, even with money, like the way that I manage my personal finances, I have never been able to do it the way any of the experts tell you to. So I'm glad I've read certain books and I used to read all of the blogs, mostly because I curated content for this other personal finance site. So I'm like, 
I've read like everything there is to read on personal finance. I still don't do it the way any of them do it. Like I had to experiment and figure out what would work for me. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's like, I completely get it. And, and sometimes it does feel like if there was a solution then, or like rules, then we would have something, like you said, like to know that it's going to work. I would also say that, that, that idea is actually making me think of, and this will also be in the, in the next book is like, when there's no, like when you're stepping off of the path that you were on and the next one like you can't see the end. You don't know what the ups and downs are going to be. You have no idea what's coming because that's a path you've never walked on. It's really scary to get started going down it. So I get it. And also like you just have to do it. Like, mm -hmm. because like even following the experts, like that's really scary. If you just follow all the rules that someone lays out for you, there's nothing saying that that's going to work. And then, and then you could go and just like blame them, but also like, it's about learning how to take more ownership and, and listening to yourself, like really understanding what is right for you. And again, it's still scary, especially if it goes against everything that you've been like raised to believe or your culture does, or just is what is around you in general. Like when you're doing something different, it is not easy to be kind of the only one, but yeah, like it, if you don't figure out what works for you, well, I don't know what happens. I mean, it but I, I think that's part of the challenge with this kind of stuff is, you know, the wanting to fit in, wanting to belong, having trouble, like making non-mainstream choices. It's something that I've struggled with in a lot of different areas. And it all, like you said, comes back to being able to figure out what works for you right now, whatever that looks like, and give yourself permission to do that thing. And like with, you know, there's no decluttering test you have to pass. There's no, like, this is what it means to be a minimalist. And if you don't do these five things and it doesn't count, right? Like we want like our stuff to count or to be relevant or, you know, and again, it just, it does, I think come from this really human place of wanting to do things right or wanting to belong or, you know, whatever. But, you know, for me, it's like being able to let go of that a little bit. I think about, you know, uh, for me with quitting drinking, and obviously I know that's something that we share, that maybe that is a little bit more black and white in that I'm either drinking or I'm not. There is like, there is something at least there that, to, to, you know, that I can like hold on to. But the way that it looks is so different, you know, for some people getting sober for them, you know, was going to AA. For some people, it was developing a meditation practice and, you know, changing their friend groups and doing like, there's just so many different things that make it possible for different people to make what's essentially the same change. And for me, it wasn't AA and it wasn't meditation and it wasn't yoga and it wasn't, you know, sort of living this like perfect wear white flowy things like spiritual green juice life <laughs> that I thought at the beginning that it had to be yeah. like that's it's way messier for me than that and I'm still not drinking so like okay cool the box is ticked right so it's like knowing what it is that's important to you and letting it look however it looks even if it doesn't look the way that you know the the quote perfect minimalist apartment looks on Instagram or you know you're not following you know the whatever life-changing magic of tidying up like you don't have to follow the rules in order to find a way that works for you. Mm -hmm. And act, okay, so and actually this would then lead into, because you asked for like, you know, what are the common questions? So what, like some is about decluttering. And then actually the other one that is asked at every single event is either along the lines of what did your friends think or did you lose any friends? Mm. That is asked every single time, always by a woman. And yeah, it, that has been... 
uh, an interesting one because my answer has sort of shifted as the events have gone on because it's like, because it keeps being asked, it's required me to start thinking deeper about it. I mean, I guess I could just be giving the same answer, but I like thinking about it deeper. So when I first got started, I think my answers were probably like, no, no, like I just, you know, made changed, changed the things that we did or stuff like that, which is true. I didn't lose any friends specifically like that year from not shopping. But then when I relate it to other things like quitting drinking, you're damn right. I lost friends. Same. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, I did. And so, yeah, I can see why that is a fear. I can see why that is a fear of any challenge that you decide to take because you are, again, like that idea of like stepping off the path that you have been on with those friends. And you're like, hey, guys, I have to take this other path now. And some of them are going to like run right alongside you and support you during it. And then some are going to continue on theirs. And it really is learning how to be okay with that. It, it is not that it is easy. I do think that losing friends, especially when we get older, it's like it just happens. I don't know, not like more regularly. It's not like you lose more and more as you get older, but you have that experience of it more. I think like when we're younger, we're quick to sort of try and keep the pack together. And then you do like, as you get older, you get a little more comfortable in what is right for you and what doesn't work or life takes you just down different paths in general, you do lose friends. And so when you're intentionally walking away though, from things that you've always done together, yeah, you're, that is a, a risk. Yeah. You're going to lose some. Yeah. I'm glad that you're willing to speak honestly about this because I think, I mean, that was definitely my experience as well. And, you know, a lot of what I heard from the friends that did stick around about sort of the friends that didn't was, you know, their reactions to your changes are more about them mm -hmm. than they are about you. And that might very well be true. And it doesn't make it feel any less painful when that happens. It's a, you know, again, what we were talking about at the beginning, that it's like a both and there's room for both. Sure. Maybe that person isn't being supportive or isn't the best fit for the next, you know, phase of your life. And it can still be really sad and painful to have a relationship end and that it's, yeah, it's messy. And I think that those fears that you people in your audience are speaking to are real for a reason because it sucks to have to change or end a relationship, right? Like, and especially if there was a lot of good there and it's, yeah, just again, like this topic of change in any form. I think, again, it's really sexy to, you know, just do the thing and the right stuff will fall into place and the people that are supposed to be there will come with you. And that's all true and sounds good, but it, you know, doesn't shine a light on the fact that change is hard for a reason and that things can feel lonely for a reason that, that there's, you know, lots of reasons why we put off doing these types of things. Oh, well, even look at just the questions I'm asking about traveling, right? Like it, it's, there's, yeah, there are lots of reasons to, or concerns about what would happen if you change anything about your life. Yeah. I don't need to reiterate that. It's just, it's yeah. been that, that question, the more it comes up, the more I go, yeah, we need to be talking about that. Because the other part of it too, is that I, I think that on that topic specifically, or if I combined the decluttering and then the, that, it's like in the minimalism or like simple living space, I actually would say that that is something that no one ever really seems to want to talk about, which is that, yeah, it, it, like it doesn't solve all your problems. And, and, and in fact, probably just create some new ones for you to deal with, right? Like 
decluttering, letting go, whatever, like deciding to change your life, it doesn't all of a sudden mean that everything is amazing. And in fact, you could be creating a whole new list of problems and hopefully they're temporary and it's all for the greater good of like doing, moving towards like what feels right for you. But it, yeah, it doesn't just mean, I don't know. I'm just sort of really ranty about topics like letting go and everything gets better. It just is really bothering me right now. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot this year and having to come to terms with is that really above all else, the thing that I value the most is growth, mm-hmm. which makes sense given if I look back at my career history and all the different places that I've moved, I really like change. I need change. I love something until I don't love it anymore. And then I'm ready to move on. I learn the lessons from it and then I'm ready for the next thing. And what if that's okay? And what if that's not just okay, but what if that's good and great and a part of who I am? And then sort of, okay, if that's the way I'm going to choose to live my life and if that feels like the truest expression of myself, what are the sacrifices that come along with that? And so much of, you know, what we're talking about right now, this idea that like, well, that means that maybe you don't have, I don't want to say you don't have lifelong friendships because they can go together, but this idea that things can potentially be in seasons, whether that's a hobby is a really good fit for you for a certain period of time, and then it's not, and that's okay. Certain relationships work really great if you're living in the same city and have a lot of the same like day-to-day things in common, and maybe they don't translate well to being long-distance friendships. What if that's okay? And just sort of letting thing, like not holding on as tightly, which is funny because you were just talking about like the letting go thing. <laughs> I'm trying to like incorporate that more in like a deeper way that something doesn't have to be forever in order to have been meaningful and valuable. Mm. And that sort of brings me into the next thing that I wanted to talk about with you um, was your decision to stop personal blogging. And I think with that to sort of shift what you're doing in your work, because that's something that I can relate to in 2015. I had then been blogging for almost eight years and I deleted the entire thing. <laughs> I was just done with it. And I don't regret that decision for a minute. And people's people couldn't believe that I did that. Right. And just, I took a sabbatical and then sort of wrapped up my business and started the podcast and moved on to something else. And I think that there's just like something in this idea of, well, if I start something, then I'm going to have to do it forever. And that's not necessarily the case. And I just wish people talked more about when a thing has come to an end, like letting that be okay. Oh my gosh. Can I ask you a question? Of course. So when you decided to do that, did you like just did it come out of nowhere? Had you been feeling it for a long time? And then did you announce that you were deleting it? Let me try to put myself back in 2015. So it definitely was something I had been feeling for a while. That's usually true for me with most big changes. Something that might seem in the action like an overnight decision is, you know, a long time coming of like a growing discomfort and then trying to investigate what is this discomfort about? Is, you know, what about this isn't working for me? What is it that I want that I'm feeling held back from? There's a lot of sort of self-inquiry, right? Which that's my bag. I love doing that. So that was definitely part of it. Um, I don't think I announced it. I mean, I guess someone who's listening, who's been in my community for that long, maybe can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember pre-announcing it. I think it was just like, well, I did this thing. <laughs> I honestly, yeah, which I mean, I don't know. And, and again, it was, it was a personal blog, that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I don't remember pre-announcing it. If, if I did, it was like a, Hey, this is happening in a week or something. But the fact that I don't remember, I think is telling because like that either way, when I was done, I was just done with it. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I wish I had trusted that 
So I had that feeling this summer. Um, and actually it was one of the things, so when my girlfriend Azalea said to me, please don't make any decisions, like big decisions for two weeks, she was talking about both travel. Cause I came home with this thought of just like, I'm just getting rid of everything today and I'm out. <laughs> Um, and it was about quitting blogging and cause she was actually pretty for the idea of it, but was like, just don't, don't rush it. Like you don't have to blog can sit there for a while. It doesn't, you don't have to like quickly jump on this decision. So, but then I wrote this post in the summer, um, which was about the idea of living and not sharing every detail. And as soon as like comments started to come in, which were all positive, like no one was saying bad things. Um, but as soon as comments started to come in, I did have this feeling of, I wish I had just said the thing I really wanted to say, which is I'm done blogging. Mm -hmm. Like it was almost like I felt like I had to explain myself or something. And I wish I had just said the thing. Like I wish I just said the truest thing. You always say that. And the truest thing in that moment would have just been, yeah, I'm really done with this. I would say I hadn't ever considered quitting blogging because it just almost didn't seem like an option. But I think one of the, yeah, God, there's so many ways I could talk about this. Like with blogging, I think it never seemed, that never seemed like an option. It was just this thing. Like I, I blog, this is what I do. I've been doing it for eight years. I've been sharing all these different experiments that I've been doing for the past eight years. And yeah, like I, I quit. What do you mean quit? Like, this is what I do. <laughs> and then when I was in London, uh, right towards, actually it was like in the final few days of my time there, I spent time with a new friend who ended up becoming just like, I think one of the most important people I've probably ever met to this day. And she said to me though, like, what if you stopped, like, what if you started only writing for yourself, at least for a little while? And my resistance was so strong. Like I was like, no, like I can't that now actually talking about value being growth, like now I know that when I'm feeling very resistant, that something is going on and I really need to actually kind of dig in and figure out what that is. And my resistance was truly that if I quit blogging, I would lose everything. So my, my thought was, I'm going to lose all my readers. I'm going to lose, I don't know. And, and some of that was a concern of like, you know, if I quit blogging, future publishers might not want to work with me, which I will say is still like a massive concern for me, but is one that at the end of the day, like I don't, my blog was never created to get a book deal or to work in publishing or like anything like that. And so like, I can't keep it going for that reason because that's not ever what it was supposed to be anyways. And as soon as it became this thing, I think that was like now fueling the beast. Like, I think I got a lot of pressure this year from different people to do certain things that would like, keep, keep it growing, keep doing this, keep doing that. And I was just like, oh no, like that is so not my business. That is not what I want to be doing. It took all the fun out of it. And yeah, I just like, I can't, I actually physically can't blog just to get a book deal like that that will not feel okay to me. 
but that's still scary to say out loud. Um, so yeah. my resistance though was, yeah, that I was going to lose everything that publishers wouldn't want to work with me. And even stuff like, I actually like talking about this pretty openly because I think we should be getting more comfortable using this word, but my ego was probably pretty attached to the fact that I had been a blogger for a long time and that that comes with like a certain, I don't know, you have this experience in something. I could go to conferences and like people just know you because you've been a long time blogger. And then you're like, oh, I'm actually going to walk away from all of that too. And I, and that has to be okay. And to just being like, actually, in a way, almost don't know who I am if I give it up because I've just been a blogger for so long. But that none of the reasons at the very end of the day. Oh, and then I also had questions too of like about my readers being like, because some of the requests that I got were like, you know, I people saying things like your content is is just kind of refreshing in the world where so much we're just being sold to all the time. It's really nice to have a blog that doesn't exist or that that, that it doesn't always sell to us. And so I'm looking at all these different things. And at the end of the day, I realized like it's really important that I know what all that resistance was. But fundamentally, like blogging isn't making me happy. And so I have to let all that stuff go. And because none of the questions I was really asking myself were like, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. Right. Like in all of those fears and taking other, like, I was like worried about my readers almost. And like, you're all those things, but like, none of them were about me and what I want to do. And I'll, and again, back to that, like the truest thing is like, I, I don't want to blog. I don't want to be doing this anymore. Yeah. And just like letting what's true be true. And sure, as you just explained, there were many different reasons. And But something that I uh, am working on is letting what's true be true without needing to justify mm-hmm. it or explain it. And that doesn't mean don't do the inquiry within yourself, yep. right, to make whatever feel like the most aligned choices. But like in certain ways, with certain things, I think maybe you owe people more of an explanation than others. Like you said, you'd built up eight years of readers and you care about these people. And I'm sure a lot of them have become friends. And right. So like, yeah. yes, the post that you wrote about why you were quitting blogging, I thought was beautiful and very generous and great. And it's like wanting to change is enough of a reason to change. I feel like that's like my mantra lately. And it's like, there's just so much in what you shared that I can relate to. For me with the blogging thing, I don't even know that I could have put my finger on why it didn't feel good anymore or why I didn't want to do it. And then specifically why I didn't want to leave the archives up. Because I think, you know, plenty of folks can make a change and let the existing thing still be out there in the world and then just move on. And I'm not really that type of person. I am like at my heart, a burn it down, like Phoenix type of person. And I mean, I remember I sent when I, the, the day before I wound up deleting the blog, I sent an email to my, my good friend, Alex Franzen, who's been a guest on the show and was basically like, do you ever feel like burning it all down and starting again? Like something in that vein. And she sent me back something that was like so encouraging and so like, fuck yeah, do it, you know, which is exactly what I needed to hear based on my reaction to her email. But what I didn't realize at the time of quitting blogging was, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. And so quitting that, wrapping up my business and essentially taking a couple months sabbatical that then, like I said, led to the podcast, I found that I missed, you know, uh, online personal story sharing or public personal story sharing way more than I thought that I was going to. And that was a surprise because I thought that I was done with it. And I really missed it in like a deep and genuine way. And I thought, okay, so this is something that is really 
benefiting me. It really does help me to understand myself and understand the world and write my way through this and connect with people who, you know, find my, find resonance in my story. Okay. So I don't want to blog. So then what's that going to look like? And sort of evolution through evolution, obviously now for people in the Patreon community, I write my Friday email series called Notes of Grit and Grace, which essentially was born out of that. Like it, that could be a blog. That's something that could live on a blog. And for whatever reason, I prefer the intimacy of being in people's inbox and doing the email. And so it's kind of like you getting, like letting something go doesn't mean that it won't come back around in like another form that's a better fit for your current needs and desires. Uh, yes. And like, I, I mean, yes to everything you said. I can't tell you in some ways exactly why I didn't want to blog. I mean, I had like a bunch of random thoughts all throughout the year and I'm, I don't even really remember what I wrote in that blog post about it. Because like, there have just been so many thoughts, but I don't think there's one that resonated any truer than just like, I don't want to. Right. So I just, I just knew it fundamentally. I'm like, this is like not what I want to be doing anymore. But, uh, similarly, actually I, I have had a newsletter going ever since and have been telling people like it's going to be in season. So I'll be taking periods of time off. And that has felt good. What I've been challenging myself with in this first season of it was to be a little bit less personal and be sharing more ideas or like even just questions I'm having in a way where I'm like sharing things I've read or some of it is like an experience. Like I have one about how, um, well, it's more just about boundaries, but then asking questions around boundaries and yeah, just like all these different topics that are like coming to mind and just like talking about those rather than just my personal life right now. And that right now feels good to me. But I will also say I am actually right there with you of like, I, I am missing not only sharing my own personal stuff, but hearing from others, I am missing it. And then, I mean, it comes with the questions of like, should I have quit blogging? I still feel yes. I do not want to live on a website the way that I used to. But yeah, what does that look like exactly? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and this sort of circling back to something that you said before, that the flip side of being a mindful consumer is thinking about being a mindful creator, which is, I mean, something that I know is on your mind right now and is on my mind too, especially when I look at like, okay, so the, the future of the business or, you know, looking at things that other people say that you're supposed to do that for whatever reason, don't feel good for me. Like a really good example. I mean, I quit Facebook years ago, mm -hmm. but Facebook has a really good group functionality, right. For having groups and stuff. And I've thought about, you know, any programs or things that I create in the future. I love that idea, but I hate Facebook and I'm so resistant to like having to have that element in something I create. And then to take a step back and be like, well, if I hate spending time there, there have to be other people that hate spending time there. So what if I create something for folks who also hate spending time on Facebook, right? Like just as yep. a tiny example of being mindful of creating stuff that you would want to consume, which I think is something that's said more as a throwaway thing, like create the thing you wish you had, but there's like a deeper thing there. It's like not just the thing you wish you had, but the form that it takes. Like I thought about this when I was on my hikes the last two years of sort of microblogging on Instagram, right? Like that's something that I love when other people do that. And I love reading, you know, sort of daily accounts of people's thing in that like shortened, you know, there's a, a limit to how long the caption can be. It's, it's sort of like a creative challenge to write something that feels meaningful and true in a shorter space. Okay. So that's something that as a creator, if I like consuming it, then cool. Why don't I try creating it? But so I'm interested for you, on this topic, when you think about maybe 2019, maybe 
the future of what you want your work to look like? What are some specifics of things that you know are true given wanting to be a mindful creator? Uh, well, I'm like, I feel like you just gave half my answer. No, I'm just kidding. But, like, <laughs> but, but in saying, um, cause I've been saying this all year, like what is the content you actually enjoy consuming? And what if you only created in the spaces that feel good? And I'm, I'm, I feel like in a lot of ways, that is what I have done since I started blogging because, you know, I would sort of experiment here and there. I remember like I tried Pinterest for who knows, six months or a year or something. And I was like, no, 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 this isn't for me. And I just got rid of it. And then I had Facebook Same. for a few years again, because and then you keep it going because that's what you're supposed to do or whatever. And then eventually you're like, no, I don't actually enjoy this. Like I don't enjoy consuming content there. So why would I create in those spaces? And then the same was true for Twitter. It's like, I'm, and that's why I'm right now only following people who I would want to create similarly to, right? Like, it's like, if I can enjoy this, maybe I would want to come back to it, but I, right now I'm still not really enjoying it. So, okay. Those things are probably all off the table. Um, the same actually did become true of blogging. There are not that many blogs anymore that I enjoy reading. I used, I probably had burnout because I used to curate content for this website called Rockstar Finance years ago. And, or for years, I just stopped doing it in January of 2018. And I probably had burnout because I had to keep up with literally hundreds of blogs every single week. And I didn't have to read them all, but I had to at least kind of know what everyone was talking about and whatever. But there are not that many that I actually like reading. So I don't really want to create in that space. Cause to me, I'm like, that's not where I'm consuming. So why would I want to be in that space? I don't even enjoy hanging out here anymore. So Instagram is like, I have so much fun with it and have thought like, I would love to be on there more. I'm feeling like if I do start writing more personal stuff, it is going to be there again. I was pretty personal there this year. And then I've just sort of whatever you want to say, like been a little quiet or like whatever. I've been pretty out there on stories. Like I'm on stories like every day, but actually posting stuff hasn't been happening as much, but I do feel like I'm getting closer to being comfortable sharing again. And I think that will be the space that it happens. Newsletters. I definitely love, like, again, there's only a handful that I'm subscribed to, but they like reading great newsletters makes me want to write great newsletters and uh, podcasting. So I had a podcast. Yeah. I had a podcast. I mean, same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I had a podcast with a friend for two and a half years, and um, we just stopped doing it in kind of the spring of this year. But I have had an idea for one that I would do as a solo podcast, and also have guests on. And uh, I see that being a big part of 2019. So because I I listen to podcasts all of the time. Like that is the content that I consume or that is the way I consume the most content in a week. So it makes sense to me that that is where I would want to be creating in. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's for me, it's basically the things that I consume. It's books, podcasts, and like 
email newsletters, that type of thing. The other, I mean, and for me thinking about 2019 and at least like the next iteration of my business, I have realized, yes, online stuff is wonderful and you can make really good connections and relationships and stuff online, of course, but I have found so much joy in doing live events and getting people together. Like essentially all I want is like a bunch of people to sit in my living room and for us to have real talk. Right. And obviously like some more stuff associated with that and doing, I know you came to the live event in Seattle, like doing the live events has been incredible in terms of just this continuous reminder that we're not alone and also that we're different and can learn from each other. And so for me, when I was like, what is, what feels like the thing I most want to do in 2019? It was like, yeah, I want to do retreats. I want to spend, you know, three, four days with folks and really go deep and build connections and relationships that, it's kind of hard in this type of work because it's not as transactional. It's not like you're going to leave this with, you know, three strategies to whatever, fill in the blank. But it's like more let's build deep relationships and have these conversations that can hopefully extend way past, you know, a three or a four day thing. Like that's so much benefit that I have gotten from going to things like that and building relationships like that. You know, there are people that are still friends and still accountability partners and that still, you know, sort of partners in growth. And I'm like, yeah, if that's what I want to do, then yeah, it's my responsibility to create that, which feels really exciting. And it sounds like you're in a similar place of here's the spaces I really like to spend time. So that's where I want to show up and try to create my best work. Well, and I'm actually really glad that you mentioned the retreat stuff. Like I'm so excited that you're going to do more, but I would actually say that going to the one in Seattle helped me in the sense that first of all, I still chat regularly with a couple of the ladies that I met there. Yeah, yeah, no, they're great. And, um, But it's something that I do want to move into myself, but I will just for point of honesty, like I, I still have this struggle with, I don't know if it would be confidence or what, but like, I still am having this bit of struggle in, um, coming up with it and like just doing it and seeing if it works. Like, it's like, I'm putting too much pressure on myself that, people would want to get whatever out of it and it's stopping me from doing it. Like, cause I'm like, my, again, it's all fears and concerns. Like what if I can't live up to whatever their expectations are? And I, I, it's like so interesting when you know, and you're like that I'm not responsible for that. I can only do the best that I can. I can only facilitate the best that I can. But that's, I think those fears have still been holding me back. And then, but attending events, I've been to a couple recently and including yours and they, they keep making me want to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really honest thing to say. And I don't think there's anyone that can't relate to that in some form, right? (laughs) We want to do the thing, but we're afraid of, you know, some of it's an ego thing, right? Some of it is just a fee. It's like the fear of, you know, you're in middle school and are people going to come to my party? There's just, there's something really human in that. And I mean, this is, this is why I love having honest conversations, you know, with, especially you know, what folks who are working for themselves and have to sort of build this stuff from scratch because you certainly don't have to do retreats, right? Like where you don't have to do live events. And it's like, how do you put yourself in the space to do it when the excitement does outweigh the fear, but the fear is still really strong. And I don't know, I think about this all the time. I think about for me, 
the two kind of personal examples that I can share, because I relate to this so much, was I felt this way about starting the podcast. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to start a podcast. I've talked about this before, but for, I mean, at least a year before I did. And I had so many fears, but the biggest fear was around the longevity. Like I had just come off the heels of quitting blogging. And I thought, well, you know, that was a thing that I thought that I was going to do forever. And it's not. So I've never even tried podcasting. What if I start it and wind up not liking it? And then, you know, people are disappointed or I seem flaky or, you know, whatever. And And the thing that let it be possible for me was to publicly say that it was an experiment. Like I'm doing one season. If I like this, if you guys like this, okay, cool. Then it'll keep going. But if not, it will just be a fun, creative thing that I tried for whatever reason, like being public about that helped me to take the pressure Mm -hmm. off. And for the live events, same thing. I thought about them forever. And the thing that finally did it was one of my best friends, Kate Grace, who's also been on the show last August, she um, competed in the track and field world championships in London. And so when she made the team, I had been wanting to go back to London forever. I really wanted to support her. And I said, okay, I'm going to go over to London and I'm going to go be there with her. And I had been wanting to do live events, wanting to do them. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I just do a test event, do it in London and see how it goes. That way, part of the trip becomes a write-off, you know, like real talk about money if Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy this expensive plane ticket. And the thing that helped, I mean, I really had no idea what the event was going to be when I created the sales page. And it took people putting down money and like booking a place to be like, okay, well, I'm not going to cancel on these people. So I have to figure it out. And that over time has been a really good strategy for me. Same thing with the retreat. Like when I decided to do the first one, I had a pretty clear vision of what it was going to be, but not a ton of specifics. But then once people had paid for it, I was like, okay, well now I'm going to figure it out and show up. And so for me, it takes like putting something on the line in order to do it. Yeah. No, I actually, I mean, I typically operate in that, that space as well. So which I know is not everyone's kind of comfort zone, but oddly is in a way, or like that's the motivator sometimes. Mm -hmm. But no, okay. I mean, because I see that as something I really want to move towards in 2019. Also just because, um, like you said, like, you know, I think that the in-person connection is sort of something we're lacking at times. Like I think that we can hear these conversations and we can relate to things, but to be able to, actually sit in a room with someone and say like, yes, that, that resonated and then go deeper is just what I I constantly feel like I'm missing. And I'm like, I cannot be alone in that. Like, there's no Mm -hmm. way I'm alone in that. So no, uh, definitely not. Yeah. Okay. So while we are sharing, obviously you and I both have a lot of question marks and unknowns for 2019, but so potentially doing, you know, some kind of live event is something that's of interest to you. Are there any other things about what's next for you sort of work and creative wise that you want to share? Um, okay. So one, I can, I can tell you a little bit about the podcast. I haven't completely settled on the name for it yet, but I'm going to, and I'm still sort of testing out the equipment I have to make sure it's going to be the right stuff for it. But I am recording conversations that I have with people when we are outside going for walks. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. And I'm like, part of it is like a little bit mindfulness. Like I'm hoping that we can at least pick up a little bit of sound because I think it helps people get, you know, out of their heads and into their bodies a little bit more. Like when you can just hear the rain or hear people's footsteps and like feel that for yourself a little bit. I think it, I I just hope there's a little bit of that aspect, but I have to make sure the audio equipment is like kind of right for it. The other reason is because I find I have my best and like most interesting conversations when I'm outside and it does not have to be a hard hike. And I think we would agree, like we should not record 
conversations when we are like huffing and puffing (laughs) so flat walks (laughs) but I you just have such interesting ideas like when you're out of your normal space and then the other part of it is because I really want people to be able to not worry about having to feel like an expert that's like something I really struggled with this year in a lot of interviews I did you know you feel like you have to have your quick sound bites and you have to have your answers and you have to be prepped and ready. Yours is truly the only podcast that I've ever felt like does this differently. And in, in such a human way, because everyone else is sort of like, come on and talk about your experience and share everything you've learned. And you're like, yeah, I mean, I've learned some things and I know some things, but I'm still a human being. (laughs) And so I really want to give people a space to not like to just be okay to just talk shit out and not have to have answers. Yeah. I, first of all, thank you. That's incredibly meaningful feedback because that was my exact goal with this show, right? Which doesn't mean people can't share some of their expertise and advice. And I think certain episodes wind up being a little bit more like that than others. But yeah, I think, I mean, that's exactly why I created this because that's what I was craving as well, right? The the ability to talk about the fact that the truest things don't fit in sound bites. Mm You know, and they're like everything that you and I talked about in this conversation, like everything is more complicated and messier and more beautiful and harder and more nuanced than, you know, a 20 minute super edited thing would let it be, which isn't to say that there aren't great shows that follow that format, but it's just not what I'm craving. Yeah. So I hear you with that. Well, and also like, I feel really grateful because I have, because uh, obviously in my sense, I'll be starting with a lot of friends and now I have friends who don't have, we'll say like online audiences or like anything like that. That's just not what they do, but they are the most emotionally intelligent and interesting people I've ever met. And I want to share them, even if there's no other place for people to go and learn more. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, you guys are the best people I have conversations with. And I want someone to just hear like the amazingness that comes out of your mouth. And then I have other friends though, like um, like you, like, I'd love to have you on, but like, but like Paul Jarvis, for example, like Paul and I go for walks every time I go home and it's someone like Paul, you would probably just look at and be like, Oh, he's incredibly successful at what he does. He must have all of his things together. And then you also realize he is also just a human being. Like Paul is confident and has his systems and knows like what works or like how he works best, but it doesn't mean you never have fears or you never have concerns and you're like never wavering. And I just, and so he was the first person I was like, would you ever be okay with me? Like recording this and sharing this? He was like, of course. Like, okay, good. I will do this. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm so into that. I was, I was thinking one of the things when I came home from the hike, um, starting to ask myself a question of like being really honest with myself, what actually brings me joy? Like which activities bring me joy? And one of the top things on the list was moving my body slowly in a beautiful place, like with someone else that I can have a good conversation with. And I'm like, that's, if that's like all I do with my life, like that's totally Mm -hmm. fine. So everything that you're saying, this is like my dream podcast. So please make that. Yes. That sounds amazing. And honestly, it'll be super, or I'm super interested in seeing how it goes because as long as I get this equipment stuff sorted out, I think what I have is going to work, but I want to like do a couple more little tests. But as long as this is going to work, I will do this when I'm traveling next year, which I think will make the conversations even better because it's, I'm hoping that I can have conversations with people that 
are even new to me, like new people I'm meeting. Like, actually, I loved that you had, like for your Patreon supporters, the um, conversation with Gent, because that's someone we never would have known otherwise, right? Like that's someone, and you you guys know each other well, but that's someone you we wouldn't have known unless you had gone on that thing, like you had done the thing and you met the person and then we got to meet the person. So I'm super curious just to see where where it goes and who I meet and who I can have on. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I feel like we're going to talk a lot more off air about this because it sounds like there's a lot of like intersecting interests that we have. I've been thinking too about how much it's, it's easier to find guests to have on the show that do have some kind of an online platform because that's usually how I wind up finding their work. They're either a guest on another show or, you know, a recommendation for someone or they write an article that I really connect with, right? Like that their work is there. Um, but I have been thinking more and more about, you know, if I want the, widest possible range of voices, that's going to include folks who don't do stuff online. And I was thinking in the new year of maybe putting a call out, whether it's to Patreon or whether on Instagram of like, who's someone you know, that's really awesome. Like who probably I should talk to. Like, is it your grandma? Like, is it the like person who owns your local bakery or cause I'm going to be traveling a lot too. And this idea of like having conversations with people that, you know, don't have a book coming out or, you know, whatever that type of thing. And, um, yeah, there's something there that I'm interested in. And, um, as since we're like, I don't know, sharing creative goals and stuff for next year. The last thing I'll say is I am really interested in creative collaboration and especially creating with other women, whatever that looks like, whether it's people that I have on my show, whether it's being guests on other people's show, whether it's creating a thing together or doing a one day event together, or, um, I work well alone and that will always be my sort of predominant choice in terms of like owning and running the business, but I am really hungry for different collaborations. So I'm just putting that out there in case anyone's listening and is like, somehow that's a good fit for, but I'm really interested in that. I agree. And add to that point, something that I would say I'm also feeling very pulled towards is in working on collaboration, whatever it ends up being, like making sure that everyone is paid equally. I was part of something for a few years that for the first few years, we were all paid equally. And then it was switched into like an affiliate based model. And it felt so awful because I would, you know, I can only imagine that some of the bigger names in it were making three, four, five, six times as much as I was for the same amount of work. And I'm not, I'm not actually saying that with any beef, I'm taking it as a lesson that anything I do, because I know how awful that felt for me, I will never do that to anyone I collaborate with. I don't care if it's one person, 12 people, I don't care. Like anything that I do, we are all getting paid the same amount of money. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think after this, you know, we'll probably start to wrap up. I want to be respectful of your time. But the money piece of it is something obviously I've been thinking about a lot and having set a public funding goal that will allow me to pay all my guests. And it's funny, it's sort of different from you actually not paying everyone the same, like paying higher rates to essentially like marginalized, you know, people of marginalized identities who are guests on the show. And I talk about that a little bit more in the intro. And but sort of the, the root point that I want to make is that money is like a real part of any type of collaboration or this kind of creation of a business endeavor. And so it's just making sure that you're doing it in a way that feels good for you and feels good for the folks that you're collaborating with and being really upfront about that Mm -hmm. and not sort of tiptoeing around the money aspect. Like I'm hearing that in what you're saying really strongly. Yes. Yeah. Because it came as like a complete surprise and then just did, it didn't feel okay anymore. Um, so yeah. 
Yeah, I love it. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good place to start to wrap up. And as you know, we end with some fun, hopefully fun community questions, basically nine questions this season that, um, folks in the Patreon community have suggested that all eight guests are going to answer. If you're down to answer some random questions, (laughs) bring it on. Um, so the first question is about self-acceptance. Can you share one thing that you've had to work to accept about yourself? Uh, actually, yeah. I'm like, I think this, and even just actually in the past few months lately, something that I have been accepting is, and just getting intrigued by is how my hormones might fluctuate, uh, every cycle and like being okay with it and almost even planning around it a little bit. Like, I think that I used to be someone who was so dead set on the idea of like, yeah, whatever. I PMS for one or two days and everything's fine. Um, I can like push through it. I just have to not be a bitch for a day or two. <laughs> like, hmm. And now I'm like, no, actually, like, what if I just really start to learn a bit more about what my hormones do do every month? Because it's not just for a few days or a month. They're fluctuating constantly. And so like, what does that mean? And that it's not a bad thing. And yeah. 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 Who's someone, maybe a writer, a blogger, a podcaster, maybe even someone that you love on Instagram who's had an impact on your thinking this year? I would say because I spend time on Instagram more than anything, she will be very shocked by this when I say this, but my friend Jess Robson, she's a copywriter here in Squamish. I would say her, her writing style is so unique to her and yeah, she just constantly reminds me to like, like through just being herself reminds me to be myself. And yeah, I just think she's great. And she's also really good. She's a great communicator and understands like the fundamentals of communication and language and helping us all like remember what words, pronouns, things that we should be using or just being more cognizant of. So she's, she's great. Yeah. What's one place, maybe somewhere that you haven't mentioned yet that you would love to visit in the next year? I would really like to go to Germany and I honestly have no idea why. <laughs> but again, it's the same thing of like wanting to change is enough reason yep. to change, like wanting to go there. You'll figure it out when you get there. Right. Yeah. That I just know, even if it's like a week or weekend, whatever, that is somewhere I'm going to go next year. It's funny. Just like a little side note. I never really plan on there being a reoccurring theme that comes up in seasons of the podcast. And it is funny how the one that seems to be coming up this season is this idea of like following your create, like your curiosity, Ooh. like whatever you're interested in, like, oh, I want to go to Germany because I want to go to Germany. Like there's just something there that I love. It's great. What's your favorite self-care activity? What does caring for yourself look like lately? I honestly just think keeping keeping some openness in my schedule and, and going for a walk almost every day. But honestly, this is going to sound like not self-care in a sense, but I actually think that the other thing that has been really good for me this year is to get back into some more regular work. And I say that because I took a lot of time off this year because I just wasn't feeling okay. And so it actually feels really good to be like finding like, or like working in the hours that are best for me. Like I am best first thing in the morning and just like being okay with that, like, and really kind of enjoying it. Like I leave my phone across the room, even if it's only for an hour. And like, that feels really good too. Yeah. What's one thing that you're objectively pretty bad at, but that you love to do anyway? (laughs) Probably cook actually. And not, not that I'm bad at cooking, but 
I like cooking. I like trying new recipes. I'm also okay if it doesn't turn out okay, but like, I probably wouldn't want to feed half the things I make to other people. Totally. <laughs> um, so I know we've talked a lot about quitting different things, but what's one thing that you've quit in your life that felt particularly hard to quit at the time, but wound up being the right choice for you? Actually, I would say my job. That's the first thing that comes to mind. When I quit my job to go full-time freelance, there was not a lot about it that actually felt good, which I think goes into then the scarcity mindset, all the different things. Like it didn't actually feel great. I just kind of was going with the motions and did it. Yeah. So this question, I know I asked you last time, but any book recommendations, essentially like two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that maybe this year you have found yourself recommending or rereading more often? Yeah. Way different books than last time. Um, I would say it, people, people kind of throw this one around, but it truly, even just reading, honestly, if you could even read like the first chapter for free somehow, the deep work by Cal Newport just really helped me get out of sort of the short-term mindset and to start thinking longer term, which is something I was not good at before, which is probably actually a different reaction than why people say to read that. Like the, his MO is always like, get off social media. I'm like, that's actually not what I pulled from it. I pulled very different things from it. Yeah. I felt the same way as you. I really liked that book. And my takeaway wasn't to don't be on yeah. social media, but it was more about like the type of work that I want to do and developing like the longer attention span and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So that one, um, I don't know that this is out in North America yet, but notes on a nervous planet by Matt Haig. I think will be one of like the most important books that people read, especially if you, uh, no, honestly, I just think it's like, it should be required reading for people. And the title probably says it all that actually, yeah. If I was only even recommending one, I would say notes on a nervous planet by Matt. It was interesting because, because he touches on so many things that are kind of anxiety inducing. I actually almost like struggled the first time I read it where I would, get through a few chapters. And then I would almost like feel anxious as a result. But the end goal with the book is to like be creating awareness around all these different things that are happening that are making us feel so anxious. And then that it's okay to start moving away from them and towards what feels right for you. Hmm. I will definitely put that on my list. That sounds like a good read. So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? I don't know, like, I kind of want to say it's like something completely different, but no, I, I mean, I think in general, it would just be about like, for consumers, and again, that's not like, it's not meant to be a dirty word. I keep thinking like, or and I get that reaction sometimes, like consumer sounds like a dirty word, because it makes us sound like we're just buyers. And I'm like, no, 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 like, as human beings, like, I think just start paying attention to what you're consuming and how it makes you feel. And that there's no right or wrong answer about what you do next with that information, but like to just start paying attention. And then the same would be for creators, like a slightly different call out, but it would be, you know, like what, what do you want people to feel when they have finished consuming whatever you've created? Because I think there's, there's not enough of that in question or like in the blogging space specifically, so much of what you see and what consumers, including me as a consumer, I think are so sick of is that everything in the blogging space has felt so driven for the creator to make a lot of money, but they're not thinking enough about what the reader is actually taking away. And like communication, like fundamental rule is just start with the end in mind. That's it. Like, what do you want to be communicating? What do you want people to be taking away? 
and just being more conscious of that as you're creating things. Yeah, I love that. So what's the best place right now for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Yeah, I mean, 100% on Instagram. So I'm just at Kate Flanders. That is 100% my favorite <laughs> place too. Yay, Instagram. Um, well, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Kate, thank you so much. Thank you. This is awesome. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I wanted to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Kat. Hi, Kat. Hi, Nicole. So we're going to do a hopefully fun little round of rapid-fire questions so I can get to know you better. Are you ready? Let's do it. So my favorite question first, what are you totally obsessed with right now? Okay, I think right now I am totally obsessed with the desert. I... I sort of had this moment uh, a few weeks ago where this kind of like bucket list idea came to me. I mean, you know, some people want to like see all 50 states or visit all the national parks or whatever. I, I really want to like experience all the different types of like ecosystems or biomes in North America. Like I want to go to all the different types of coastlines and the desert and the prairie and all of the things. But but right now the desert just feels like it's it's sort of calling to me and I'm I'm always kind of fascinated by by landscapes that are totally different than where I live. So I, I have a trip in mind and I'm excited. <laughs> that would be such a cool thing to, like you said, like have like a bucket list item, but like frame it maybe differently than people usually do. That's awesome. I'm yeah, a huge fan of the desert. Yeah. I didn't realize how much I loved it until I did the Arizona trail. And I'm interested now that I'm next spring going to go back and do the, you know, 700 mile, essentially desert, what's yes. called the desert section of the PCT yeah. to see how different, you know, cause just because it's a desert climate doesn't mean that it's the same. Right. So I'm interested right, to see right. like how it's similar and how it's different. And yeah, I'm big into the desert also. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to follow you along on that part of your hike for sure. Oh, well, thanks. Also, you've been so supportive of hiking and so encouraging and stuff. And I really appreciate that. When you were young, what did you want to be when you grew up? That's a good question. I think the first thing I remember was that I wanted to be a zoo doctor. <laughs> that's amazing. I, yeah, that's that's definitely the way I phrased it. I, so I suppose like a veterinarian who works in the zoo. But pretty quickly afterwards, it, it turned to writer. Um, and I think those are the same, is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, I I think those are. I think writer is still ultimately the dream. Although um, the way that I sort of imagine that looking has has you know shifted over the years. But that's kind of neat to think about. I, I think it was probably a, a Madeline Lingle book that got me started on the writer track. Yeah, I love that. I love how the, like, the things that we want when we're younger, sometimes it's like we go completely the opposite way, or sometimes there really are threads that carry through. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's been a tough lesson that you've had to learn the hard way? Hmm. Tough lesson I've had to learn the hard way. Maybe that I'm not perfect. Hmm. That's a good one. I heard on, I, I, I honestly, I listen to so many podcasts right now. And the thing that happens is that I start listening to the podcasts of the people who are your guests. Um, and then I can't remember where I heard it, but, uh, one of the interviews I heard somebody described perfectionism as, um, always trying to be above judgment. Hmm. 
And it was like, oh, that, yeah, it's me for sure. <laughs> um, and, and so I think, uh, now that I'm like aware of that, I noticed the way that I, that I aim for that in different ways. So I guess I'm still learning that the hard way. Yeah, that's really well said. I feel like a potential add on to that is like wanting to be above judgment and above like criticism, right? Which is obviously pretty similar. But yeah, that makes sense. It's like the fear of criticism or judgment leads to, well, if I do everything absolutely perfectly, then no one's going to be able to say anything. Exactly. Yeah. Which I mean, I <laughs> think only. that's super relatable and also really freeing to start walking away from because like perfection's not a thing that's real, right? So Right, right, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like that there's a couple lessons that I just feel like I keep learning over and over again and that is stuff. There's one under that umbrella for sure. Like, yeah. Didn't I learn this already? <laughs> oh god. Um, what's something that you'd love to get better at in the next year? That's a tough one. Something I would like to get better at in the next year. Of course, this is a good time of year to start thinking about that. I know, right? I'm such a nerd for like, I know that the new year is really arbitrary, but I'm really into the sort of end of year reflection and goal setting. So yes, Um, this is like totally where my brain's at. I would like to be more intentional when it comes to my time. Hmm. I I think my family and I, we have a tendency to overschedule ourselves a bit. And yet when I look at it, it's like, um, like, what do I cut out? Do I, do I cut out spending time with my girlfriends that I only do every few weeks or spending time with these other friends or seeing family when they come to town. And, and that's a tough question to answer. And yet I know when I have weeks where we're never home in the evening, um, it wears on me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sort of identifying those few opportunities to maybe say no, and then also letting go of the guilt that I feel when I want to say no, <laughs> um, you know, feeling like I'm like I'm the party pooper. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that question of how do I honor the things and people that are important to me without like burning myself into the ground, right? Exactly. And, yeah, I think. And, and the, the stuff that we overschedule is all fun stuff. Uh, so it's not things that I want to say no to, but I might have to. Yeah, no, I think that that's a very relatable answer. Um, so the last question, what's one thing that you have recently been wishing that people were more open and honest about? I... I work in a, in a, in a corporate environment and I, I wish there was just a little bit more space for like vulnerable honesty in the workplace. Hmm. Um, and maybe some folks have that, but I think when you sort of think about like the different like workplace social scripts or whatever that are, that are kind of generally accepted, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I have the option of like walking into my boss's office and say, you know what, I'm feeling really disengaged. <laughs> um, and, and sometimes I think it would, it would be nice to be able to, to have that conversation in, um, in a way where you don't feel like you're, you're like either afraid for your job or, or whatever. I think that comes up in a, in a, in a few different life places for me, or even just being able to say, you know, I'm just really not feeling it today. I'm going to do my job, but just sometimes to be able to say it out loud (laughs) would be nice. Yeah. To be able to, like you said, deviate from the script a little bit. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love that. So you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season, for which I'm super grateful. And I would love for you to share two things, uh, why you decided to support the show, and then um, what your favorite thing has been either about being in the community or favorite bonus content or anything that you want to share. Yeah. Um, So I think I had started sort of following you 
um, a few years ago and had started getting the Friday emails when you were still kind of doing them publicly. I think I started that shortly before you stopped doing that publicly. Maybe I listened to the first podcast episode or two and then, um, I don't know, wandered off to do something else with my life for a little while. <laughs> Love that. And then uh, about a year ago, I, I was taking a road trip uh, for work. So I was driving a while by myself and needed something to listen to. And so I looked it back up and, you know, I, I got very quickly hooked. And, uh, you know, it, it was about this time of year and it was sort of like thinking about, you know, what, what do I want my 2018 to look like? And between um, a few other things that I had sort of been hearing and thinking about and then just sort of your ask for the support in, in a way, it, it really made me say, you know, I really do believe in supporting the content that I want to consume and supporting the content that I want to see made. And so, you know, once once I sort of came to that conclusion, I was like, well, I think I need to do this. And yeah, and it, it, it's been great. And um, I think my favorite part probably still is the Friday emails. You are not alone in saying that. And that always makes yeah. me really happy because <laughs> I love writing them. So I'm glad that you enjoy reading them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. When you were going on your hike, my, my biggest concern, I was like, what am I going to do without these Friday emails for the next few months? <laughs> I mean, that's the best compliment ever. Thank you. Um, but yes, see, I still did daily writing on the hike. Um, yes, I appreciated that. <laughs> yeah. I also don't see myself going on another hike that's that long. So there won't be that much of a hiatus in the future. <laughs> um, can you share where you live and maybe a social media? link or something if people want to say hi? Uh, sure. I live in Asheville, North Carolina um, in the mountains, and I am starting a, a little bit of a side project. So if people want to follow on along with that on Instagram, that is at opt inward, O-P-T-I-N-W-A-R-D. Oh, that sounds interesting. I will have off air more questions for you about that because I'm already <laughs> interested. Um, so thank you so much. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. Honestly, I can't tell you how much that support means to me. And it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. Perhaps we can even record a future outro together like this one. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.